Welcome. You are listening to Central Synagogue's podcast, featuring sermons, lectures, and conversations from Manhattan's historic Central Synagogue. I'm Rabbi Angela Bookdahl. Each week, we invite you to listen to messages of strength and hope given by our clergy on Shabbat or Jewish holidays. You can also listen to audio recordings of other programs and lectures given at Central by subscribing to this podcast on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to watch our live stream services or learn more about our congregation, I invite you to visit us at centralsynagogue.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. And raise me up to a world living, oh, safe from the storm, in the shelter of your shadow. Rabbi Rubenstein was one of the early great rabbis who decided that outreach to non-Jews in our community who wanted to be a part of our mission and our congregation and our larger vision for the world should be welcomed with open arms. He was one of the first rabbis of a large congregation to perform interfaith marriages. And he had a vision for a way that we could have a more holistic way of thinking about conversion for anyone who would want to join the Jewish people. And eight years ago, he had the good wisdom to hire Rabbi Lisa Rubin to start a class called Exploring Judaism. Rabbi Rubin had eight students, I think, in her first class, and she nurtured them, and then very quickly, her classes would be over 20 people apiece um, and sell out. They, were every, they used to be every six months, and soon she had to start running a new class every three months, and this has grown and grown. And over the last eight years, she's now had over 800 students, I'm sorry, over 600 students take Exploring Judaism and have had over 200 conversions to Judaism. That is work that Central Synagogue has done, um, brought this many new people into our congregation, and even more who maybe perhaps didn't convert but have raised Jewish families and known what it is to be a part of the Jewish community, even if they themselves do not convert. This year, it's no longer just exploring Judaism. It has become the center for exploring Judaism, and Rabbi Rubin has become its director. And the classes, we will have 50% more classes because the demand and the need is so great. It is something that um, we should feel so proud of as a community that we have been doing. And you should know that the people who have come into the Jewish community as Jews by choice, um, some of them are sitting right next to you, Many of them are our most engaged, involved members. All of them have contributed to raising Jewish children when they have children in this community. Just of note, three out of our four Torah readers today are Jews by choice. Think of how our community would not be the same, would not be as rich and as varied and as strong without them. So this is who we are and who we are becoming. And Rabbi Rubin is our teacher and leader in this effort at Central, led by the vision of Rabbi Rubenstein. We feel blessed that while we were <clears throat> a little disappointed when Rabbi Rubenstein said, I can't preach this year, we'll ask you again next year. It is a tremendous gift to hear from the wisdom of our teacher, Rabbi Rubin. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
King Solomon was trying to humble his wisest servant, and so he asked him to perform a seemingly impossible task, to find something that did not exist. He requested a magic ring, one that if a sad man wore it, he would become happy, and if a happy man wore it, he would become sad. The servant took the challenge, searched high and low in the land, but on the night before he was supposed to go back to the king, he still had nothing. And then the idea came to him. The next morning, he went to the local jeweler and had three words inscribed on a plain gold band. This too shall pass. King Solomon was delighted at such a phrase because it was true, whether someone was happy or sad, in all times and all situations. He saw that when he was melancholy, the ring would comfort him and remind him of sunnier days ahead. And when he was at the height of contentment, the ring would humble him and remind him of life's fleeting nature. Legend has it, he never took it off and could be heard saying to himself, this too shall pass. In modern times, the phrase was made popular by Abraham Lincoln, who used it often in his speeches to inspire and challenge his listeners. This phrase is timeless and its meaning rich. It should resonate for each of us. Every individual knows melancholy and joy, and each of us knows how quickly things can change. For the most part, we don't use the phrase, this too shall pass, when we're in a good place. We use it in times of difficulty and darkness. It is reassuring with its promise to an end to our troubles. Distressing times in life can be suffocating and overwhelming. Sometimes just living feels like a burden, and the stress always seems to come when we feel least able to carry it. Professional challenges, maintaining a home, difficult children, aging parents, dealing with illness and death, whatever it is, we take a deep breath and remember, in times like these, there have always been times like these. This too shall pass. It isn't the first hurdle and it won't be the last. But I'd argue it's just as important to take a page from King Solomon and use the phrase when things are going well. Solomon used the phrase to chasten himself in times of pride and contentment, and it is this scenario that I'd like to focus on today. There's a rabbi I know who tells brides and grooms gamze ya'avor on their wedding night. His reasoning is that only if they understand the event will pass quickly will they truly be able to savor it. And so it is precisely at the times of our life when we are intoxicated to be alive that we should remember the moment is transitory. When we have a swagger in our step, when we count our blessings, when we feel the magnificence of life stretching out before us, that is when we should say, Gamze Ya'avor. When the people we love are healthy, when we have a way to make a living, when our children and grandchildren are thriving and our marriages are strong, that is when we should say, Gamze Ya'avor. We can never feel regretful or let down or wish to turn back the clock if we enjoy the present moment and truly live in it. But we don't. We allow countless obstacles to stand in our way, coloring life as if it were so pressured and very short. 
But life is only short if we make it so. The great philosopher Seneca said, life is long if we know how to live it. And knowing how to live it doesn't mean fighting the universal truth that time passes. It means we must feel in our core what we know in our heads. Time rushes past. It cannot be stopped or slowed down or repeated. People, like time, have a way of disappearing from our lives before we are ready. It is the most heartbreaking example of what we can never get back. But we can appreciate them while they're right in front of us. We can embrace our blessings now. In his monumental 12-volume study of history, Arnold Toynbee concludes that what led to the decline of civilizations is that once they reached the pinnacle of their success, once they no longer had to struggle to survive, they began to corrode from the inside. And it is the same with us. We become inebriated with prosperity and blessing and have no impetus to savor every moment. Judaism demands more of us, especially at this time of year. It is not religion's only purpose to help us cope with adversity, lift us out of grief, and give us hope when we need it. Judaism teaches us what to do in our moments of triumph and blessing, as well as despair. Judaism's noble challenge is to give us something to aim for when we don't have to fight to survive. It sounds very vague and abstract, even cliche, to say live in the moment. So let's get concrete. I propose three things to help us embrace the idea of Gamze Yavor, this too shall pass, as a theme for the coming year. Three ways to answer the question, how can we really maximize the moment? Number one, show up in life. Number two, face our fears. And number three, control our perspective. The popular adage is that half of life is showing up. But of course, our tradition teaches that it is so much more. One of the great corrosions of community, family life, and friendships is our inability to fully show up in life. Our greatest challenge is to be present and aware, both in our own endeavors and in those of the people we love. There are two things that keep us from being able to do this. The first is age old, and that is the illusion that time and life will wait for us. We just don't take time seriously. The second barrier, though, is newer. It will not come as a surprise. It is technology and the way we communicate. It is not and never has been human nature to live in the moment, even though we know the moment is going to pass. We are simply not hardwired for it. Our default setting is to believe that there will always be five more minutes or another opportunity or a second chance. The human condition predisposes us to notice and treasure things only when we're about to lose them, or worse, we've lost them already. We act as if it is just too difficult to be somewhere, both physically and mentally, at the same time. We are always planning and thinking ahead rather than experiencing and enjoying the reality at hand. Why is it we're so willing to trade the present for the future? We miss out on what's happening around us because our head is somewhere else. And what is it that takes us most greedily out of the moment? Our technology, our iPhones, our iPads, our laptops, and our inability to put them down for long or look away.
I missed the first steps of my third child because I was fidgeting with my phone hoping to catch the entire thing on video. And then a text message popped up of one of my students and I was completely distracted. Sometimes I feel I have lost control of my accessibility and availability. In being available to everyone all the time, I am ultimately not available to the people right in front of me. And letting life get away from me in this way is not living Jewishly. Everything in Judaism pushes us to live in the moment, to understand what distinguishes each moment from the others. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel characterized religion aimed at the sanctification of time. There are no two hours alike. Each moment has a significance attached to it. He points to Jewish ritual as the architecture of time. And it's true, we wake up every day, we recite the morning blessings, thanking God for giving us another day. We say a blessing before we eat so we can be mindful of the miracle of food. Everything is about thoughtfulness and cognizance, asking us to think and not merely act. The Torah says Abraham was old and he came with his days. We take this to mean that Abraham grew daily and got as much out of each day as possible. How can we grow old with our days? How can we show up more? First, we must reprogram ourselves and not allow technology to dictate the terms of our life and snatch away our focus. We know life is about relationships. That is why the Torah speaks so much on how we are to treat each other and live together. In this new year, my family is going to try a technology blackout night, just one night a week to see how it feels. No screens for our little kids, no screens for the grown-ups. And in doing so, my husband and I hope to provide an example for our children about what prolonged face-to-face -face time with family can look like. Our kids are still very young. We have three under the age of six, but they have a lot to teach us on the subject of showing up. Nobody shows up in life like little kids do. They live fully in every moment. That is why they will not get out of the pool. They will not stop playing to go to sleep. They must put their new toy together immediately, and they want to hear the story again and again and again. They have the innate ability to enjoy and savor every moment. I try to learn from them. Imagine the results of channeling our inner child. If we could be more curious, imaginative, creative, energetic, resilient. If we could succeed, the quality of our moments and the moments we share with others could be so greatly enhanced. Can we let our children and grandchildren, at least while they're young, live like children in a more unplugged and personal environment? Isn't it worth a try just to live like that ourselves? We must show up in life because gamze ya'avor, this too, shall pass. My days here in the office involve mostly talking to and counseling adults. And one of the top things that comes up in our conversations is fear. Fear is at the heart of many scenarios I hear. We fear change, we fear loneliness, we feel for people we love, we fear for what others think, we fear being insignificant, we fear something terrible happening in the world, and on and on. Now Jews are famous for worrying, but to let fear dominate the mood of our culture is tragic.
Fear is time-consuming, and it stands in the way of gamze ya'avor in a literal sense. How much of our life do we occupy with fear and anxiety and procrastination? How often do we allow fear to rob us of the moment? To be afraid is to suffer. In the short term, our worries are uncomfortable and incapacitating. Fearing something gives it power over us. The long-term effects of fear are worse. We have goals and dreams, but cannot realize them because we fear risk and change. Dealing with fear robs us of living. It makes us less forthcoming, less adventurous, less buoyant, and ultimately less alive. We stay in jobs that don't challenge us because we feel we're not qualified to do something else. We can't celebrate a success because we're afraid we might fail tomorrow. And we don't travel to see the world because we're afraid that something might happen to us along the way. We don't open ourselves to people because we fear being hurt. This is not living, it is existing, and I cannot believe it is what God intended for us. Will Durant, in his classic opus, The Story of Civilization, lists in the very first paragraph of 11 volumes the conditions for civilization. He says, where progress begins, chaos and insecurity end. For when fear is overcome, he writes, curiosity and constructiveness are free, and man passes by natural impulse toward understanding and embellishment of life. So it is a condition of society that fear be overcome. Personal greatness begins where submission to angst ends. I do not mean to minimize the causes of concern in our society, communities, and families. They are real and they are many. But Judaism gives us resources to confront what threatens and unnerves us. We are a lot more resilient than we think. If Jewish history tells us anything, it's that our worst day is never our last. You do not, I'm certain, need me to enumerate the number of times we have teetered on the brink and lived to see another day. Military history gives us some unbelievably inspirational examples. David bested Goliath with a slingshot. George Washington bested the British with a handful of troops at the Delaware River in 1776, and 500 Israelis bested 80,000 Egyptians at the Suez Canal on Yom Kippur in 1973. The arc of history is bent toward those who are not afraid. These are extreme examples, yes, but they can inspire us to go against the grain of anxiety and fear, face our own fears, and remember Solomon's inscription, this too may pass, we may not be as scared tomorrow. And second, although I know we don't always speak publicly or comfortably about faith, might we banish fear by acknowledging or connecting to a higher power. I'll speak personally, this helps me feel less alone. There is a beautiful tale in Judaism about a man just after his death sitting with God, reviewing his life. And his life is depicted by footprints on the beach. And God says, see, two sets of footprints. I was always walking with you. And the man says, but look at all the places. There is only one set. I suffered, I walked alone, 
where were you then? My child, God says, those were the times I was carrying you. Our tradition teaches we are connected to something higher and eternal. Over and over, God says to the Israelites, do not fear, for I am with you. We are never alone. Real security in life comes from many things. Lasting friendships, a meaningful family life, a connected community, a big picture purpose. Can we search for the things in our life that secure us and think twice before giving over our precious moments to fear and worry? Our potential can only be realized when we are willing to face our fears. Gamze ya'avor, we are not going to be here forever. Do we really want to let fear dominate our lives? My third and final suggestion as a framework to help us live in the moment is to adjust or control our perspective. My high school soccer coach used to say, attitude is everything. And at the time, I found it so lame as to be meaningless. But I realize now it was just shorthand, as cliches often are for a very deep and important truth. Life is perspective. Life is our opinion of our life. Montaigne, the great French philosopher, said, a man is not hurt so much by what happens as by his opinion of what happens. Outlook, as much as reality, defines us. How much time do we waste on realities that do not exist? The real gift of being educated and experienced is not that we've learned how to think, but that we have the choice of what to think about. We have the power to choose healthy perspectives, ones that maximize our ability to enjoy life. Things that are boring, frustrating, and irritating can be reframed. We shouldn't let impatience or resentment ruin the moments of right now, which we will never get back. The choice of how we view things is our greatest asset in taking full advantage of time. Similarly, we have the choice of how we handle and view our emotions. The rabbis of the Talmud recognize the hard wiring of human beings. They encourage us not to default to the first and often most extreme emotional reactions. We too easily become victims of our own envy and anger and guilt. We lose the ability to separate out what really matters and what doesn't, what really bothers us and what shouldn't. When we don't control strong negative emotions, we know they control us. Instead of this too shall pass, we sit in our anger or irritation, our refusal to forgive, insisting this too won't pass. We all know the way angry or jealous thoughts can become all-consuming, and how could anyone possessed by such feelings possibly notice or enjoy what is going on around them? Working through and letting go of the emotions is better for us, not only the ones we are holding a grudge against. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin tells a story of a woman who was holding a hot poker for her ex-husband for 10 years. He finally said to her, what's the point? You haven't thrown it. All you've done is burn your hand. Controlling our perspective is just as important as controlling our behavior. 
Anger can be transformed into understanding and the opportunity to repair a relationship. Jealousy can be replaced with the realization that the hand of fortune is the same as misfortune. Everyone's life has success and service. Life is a mindset. Remember Hamlet, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. No matter what happens to us, we can reframe our experiences and thus our experience. Things can mean the end of the world to us or we can deal with them and move on. People will irritate us and hurt us so we can do what General Eisenhower famously boasted and that's not spending one second thinking about people we don't like. Life is opinion and our opinion is up to us. The passage of time is inevitable, yes, but we can try to slow it down be inside it rather than bystanders, talk rather than text, appreciate rather than begrudge, let bitterness pass but not our blessings. Nothing keeps time. We only keep up with it if we are able. No matter what 5777 brought for us, it is time right now to throw a hook into our future and bring about 5778. Decide what it is in life we want and how we are going to get it. Gamzeya Avor is a balm for us, absolutely. But it is also a dictate that we stand at attention before God with the realization that time is our greatest gift. This rabbi in front of you inscribed Gamze Yavor on one of her own rings, not to mimic King Solomon, but to remember his wise and resourceful servant who very much had his finger on the pulse of life. We are encouraged not to be consumed with the reality that life passes by, but to consume ourselves in the moments of our existence. It is time to bend history to our making by standing firmly in the present. We must match time's swiftness with our speed in using it wisely. My wish for us as a community is that we show up, find the courage to face down fear and have the mental discipline to control our thoughts. May we be heard saying to ourselves, Gamze Yavor. Thank you for listening to this edition of Central Synagogue's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're in the loop on future episodes. And please follow us on social media or watch our live stream at centralsynagogue.org, our Facebook page, or on national cable at the Jewish Broadcasting Service. Thanks again for joining us. Shalom.